You're listening to sermon audio from Gospelite Baptist Church. For more resources or to donate to this ministry, please visit gospelite.org. The following message is brought to you by an imperfect parent. What you're about to hear are lessons he learned from his parents as a child. And simply this morning, I'm going to give you, I could, I could almost entitle this message a little bit differently. I can entitle the message, A Message to Parents from a Grown-Up Kid. That's really what this could be. And, and I want you to understand that I come from, uh, the, the, the perspective that I'm coming from is from a child's perspective on what it was like to grow up in what I believe is the best parents in the world's home. And I know that my parents weren't perfect at all. I can tell you that right off the bat. My dad and mom have had to apologize to me many different times for different mistakes that they've made and different things that they taught me. And, and it's, it's happened many, many times. And, and, and I think he would agree and she would agree that those types of things have taken place. But what I can tell you is that uh, I have, I, I've grown up knowing what it is to be a real follower of Jesus Christ. And, and some of you are thinking, man, if my kids would turn out like you, please let me do the opposite. Look, Mo, I, I love you, but you're, you're crazy. You know, I don't want my kid like you. Well, then just, I told the crowd this morning, just focus more on Joe or Chloe. You know, they're, they're, they're good kids, okay? I know I'm a little crazy, but I just want to share with you guys from my heart, being the student pastor of this church, a little bit about what I believe is something that we would be able to help each other here this morning. You know, uh, uh, I look at, as a student pastor, I was a children's pastor for about an eight-month time period as well, and just looking at the different, uh, the parenting styles, all this different stuff, and you can go to parenting classes, we've got the art of parenting coming up, and believe me, I couldn't teach you half of what that's going to be, believe me, you want to make it to that, it's going to be fantastic, but what I do want to, do want to say is there's three things today that I believe that every child should be taught, not only, not only do I believe that, but I believe, I believe that the Bible itself has a lot to say about these particular Things And so we're going to get into this, and as we get into it, I want you this morning, if you do not have a child, okay, if you are a teenager, if you are a young adult, uh, and you don't have a child, I want you to think about this from a different perspective. Number one, you could probably think about it as one day maybe I'm going to have a child, and maybe I could learn this stuff. Number two... Uh, there's another group of people that may be senior citizens or older, and maybe, you, you know, you, you don't have children in the house anymore. Maybe they have children now. I want you to think about this from a different perspective as well. Both of those groups, if you, if you don't have a child in here at this point that you're rearing, I want you to think about how can I apply this information to my life. And I believe that I was talking to Jacob Porter, and I told him I was going to use him as an example. He said, Parenting 101, I don't need this for a long time. I said, well, trust me. At the end of the message, I really believe that if you'll pay attention, if you will really dig in with me in God's word, I believe that this would help each and every one of us individually as well. So I'm going to dig right into this thing. I have three things, okay? It's not going to be super, super long message, but I do want to share with you from my heart what God's given me about this thing of parenting. So number one, I'm going to get right into it. We should teach our kids how to gain. Teach our kids how to gain. Now, I know what you're thinking, like, man, gain what? Gain weight? Like, I don't know what you're talking about here. Uh, you know, uh, gain, you know, go to the gym, put on some, put on some weight there. How, how do you, how, what are we talking about here? What I mean by this word is I mean we should teach our kids how to work. How to work. And, and I know what you're thinking as well. Like, I, I, every time I speak, I try, to, I try to get the message ready. And then I think, what would people think as I'm speaking this? And one of the things that comes to mind is, you know, my kid, uh, you know, uh, I, I, I believe he's a hard worker. Uh, I try to do this. Let me read for you, from you, uh, with you from Scripture a few things that I believe that the Bible tells us about work. And hopefully this will apply to each one of your lives as well. So I told you uh, before I'm a science teacher. And I teach history and science. I teach biology for the high school and uh, one of Newton's laws of motion, his first one, if you will, is that if an object is in motion, it will remain in motion. And if an object is not in motion, if it is at rest, it will remain at rest until an outside force is impressed upon it. So let me explain this as a teacher here, okay? So this iPad is sitting here at rest. 
it will remain at rest until an outside force has been pushed upon that. So if I were to lift this up, that would be an outside force that causes this iPad to move. If I were to push it off this, gravity would be the outside force that causes that iPad to move. Humans are the same way, okay? We are in our DNA, we will remain at rest if there is not some outside force that is impressed upon us. For instance, as a parent, I go to work, why? Why do I go to work? Because I have an outside force that says, I've got I've to provide for my family. I've got to give my family a roof to, roof to sleep under. I've got to, to, to work to provide food for them. And I have that outside force that is causing me to go to work. And so as humans, we've got to realize that, that this will take place in our children's lives if we don't have anything to do about it. And we just say, do what you want to do play video games all day, they will do that. That is what naturally happens. But if we can teach our children how to gain, how to work, it will be a huge blessing to them in the future because we're going to read about what happens if we don't work. So what I want to say as well, I'm going to tell you three things about work that I believe the Bible is very clear on. Number one, the Bible is clear that laziness is sin. Laziness is sin. Now, I know that, you know, we could go a little extreme, you know, like, you know, I have a four-month-old son, and as soon as he turns four years old, he's getting out there, I'm putting him on the lawnmower. You know, I, I know we could be a little extreme with this, but I want you to understand where I'm coming from. Uh, even at a young age, we can teach our kids how to work, and, that, and we teach them, hey, look, son, laziness is sin. That's what the Bible tells us. Let's look at Proverbs 6, 6-11. It says this. Go to the ant, O sluggard, which is a lazy person. Go to the ant, O sluggard. Consider her ways and be wise. Without having any chief, officer, or ruler, she prepares her bread in summer and gathers her food in harvest. How long will you lie there, O sluggard? When will you arise from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come upon you like a robber and want like an armed man. I don't think anybody in here would want for their kids poverty. I don't, think, I don't think any parent would say, yeah, I hope my kid, you know, becomes poor and, and lives a terrible life with, with no, no means to survive. I think every one of us would say, man, I, this is why I work. I want to provide for them. But do you realize that if you don't teach them to work, one day you won't be there? One day you're going to have a child who grows up and he's going to need to know how to work. She's going to need to know how to work and provide for their families. Matthew 25, 26 says this, but his master answered him. This is speaking of the parable with the master and his servants. And he gave the servants talents and two of them went and they invested him, right? And they, they, they came back and they, he was like, you know, thank you so much for doing this. You're awesome. Hey, let me double that. And let me give you, you, let me put you in charge of this kingdom. And then he has one servant and he gives him one talent and that servant buries it. And he doesn't go to work and invest that. And what happens? He literally, uh, the master who was represented as God in this passage says, you wicked and slothful servant. That's pretty powerful there. You wicked and slothful servant. See, God, throughout his word, I, I looked at, it's just crazy how many verses we could look up. We just don't have time in the day to do that. But there's literally 25, 30 verses in the Bible that just speaks about how God hates laziness. And you know what's really cool about uh, work as well? The Bible also reveals that work reveals something about the one doing the work. What do I mean by that? Well, you know what's cool is in Psalms 19, 1, it says this. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims his handiwork. Okay? So the coolest thing about work to me is that, like, God created work. He was the first one to actually do it. He went out and he created the, the universe in seven day, or six days, and then he went to rest on the seventh day. And then he, he said, it says in the Bible in Genesis that he sat back and he thought it was good. Have you ever just looked at God's handiwork? Have you just looked? I mean, I, I study science. I've, I've done astronomy. I've done biology. I've done, you know, anatomy. I've done all these things. And when you look at God's work, it's just mind-blowing. Like, wait a minute, God, you... You, you created all these stars. You know them all by name. You put us in the specific place around the sun to where we don't burn up because we're not too close and we're not freezing because we're too far away. 
You mean you, you created the, the water cycle and how that replenishes the earth through rain and how allows us to, to grow from a seed that grows new food so we don't starve to death? And, and, and you created the human eye that allows us to... Fu- it's amazing how God works. And you know what's cool about that? We can, it says that literally we can look at God's work and it declares his glory. It's like, oh my goodness, God, you are an excellent and perfect God. And you know what's cool about this verse in 1 Corinthians 10.31? It's a very popular verse, and I've read it a million times. I've quoted it to our guys when they play basketball or when they do work. But 1 Corinthians 10.31 says this. So whether you eat or drink, or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. And I've read that verse a million times, but, but I, I really study that word glory. What does that word glory mean? This is what glory means, or glorify means. It means to give an accurate representation. So let's read this verse again with that definition. It makes so much more sense. So whether you eat or drink, and whatever you do, do all to give an accurate representation of God. You know what I find? I, 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 I look around and I, I see so many Christians giving a terrible representation of God and what they're doing in the workplace. You know, I was a... Uh, I was a business owner, you know, I had a business with a friend that we started and it it got, you know, decent size. We had seven uh, full-time employees and we did exterior cleaning for uh, FedEx on all their trucks and we did a lot of mowing, we did a lot of window cleaning and different things like that. And what I found was the hardest thing to do, even among Christians, was just to find good, honest, solid workers. And I thought to myself, what, 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 what's, what's, where's, where's, what are you missing here? And part of the problem, I believe, is that parents have not taught their children how to be a good worker and be an excellent worker. And listen, son, you're going to school. You're going to do your best. It doesn't mean you better get 100% A plus or I'm going to whoop you. It means you will do your best because you're representing God. Hey, listen, you're going out on the basketball court. You're going to represent God with how you work. You're going to this. You're going to do this to the best of your ability because you represent God. You see, it's not us telling them to do things. It's us teaching them. This is why we work. Number one, laziness is sin. But we also teach them that work reveals something about the one doing the work. You see, work should not just be done to benefit the worker. It also should be blessing others. This is the third thing that we can teach them about work. Hey, listen, son. Hey, listen, child. We work because laziness is sin. We also work because uh, it tells something about somebody doing the work, but it also should be done to benefit others. You know what I find so interesting is that so many people we work, and we're hard workers, but what are we working for? Is it just to get more money for us? Is it to, to get new things for us? Or is it to benefit others? Well, what do you mean by that, Mo? Well, let's read what Scripture has to say, because I always like Scripture in the way it does it, because it does a way better job than me. Ephesians 4.28 says this. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands. Why? Why should they do work with their own hands and do honest labor? Why? So that he may have something to share with anyone in need. You know, the reason we work, the reason we should be teaching our children why we work is not just to benefit. Hey, get rich, get rich, get rich. That's what the society tells us, right? Get rich. Hey, look, I make that money. Give me stacks on stacks. This is what our culture is telling us is, is money, 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 money for me, 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 for I can get nice things. But when, according to scripture, the reason we work, according to Ephesians 428, excuse me, is to have something to share with others in need. Because you see, you make a living by what you make, but you make a life by what you give. You make a living by what you make, but you make a life of what you give. Which brings me to my second point. Number one, we should teach our children how to gain. Number two, we should teach our children how to give. How to give. These are some of the most staggering uh, statistics, excuse me, uh, that I have found uh, in a while, and I've read a lot of re- really, really, really crazy stats, but, but these are pretty incre- uh, incredible, and I want you to look at these in your notes there. 80% of Americans only give 2% of their income, period. Which means that these aren't just Christians, this is Americans in general, 80% give a- a- at least 2%, period. Meaning that, that not just the church, to just give in general, these are what really, really got me, though. 
for Christian families. These are the Christian families making less than $20,000 a year. 8% of them give at least 10%. So 8% of the Christian families who make less than $20,000 a year give at least 10%. So 92% don't give 10%. 8% do give 10% of the 20000 Now some of you are thinking, well, that's kind of tough. You know, $20,000 for an entire family for a year, that, you know, if you, it depends on how big the family is. That might be rough for that particular category. And I thought the same thing. But then this stat caught me off guard. For Christian families making more than $75,000 a year. So we're talking, I mean, in Arkansas, that's a pretty decent amount of money. More than $75,000 a year, only 1%. Give at least 10%. And I thought, that's, that's backwards. They messed up that statistic because, because they made more money. You'd think that, that they would be able to give more. But you see, America, we've become a selfish society. As Americans, we are very selfish. We want, gimme, gimme, gimme. My name is Jimmy, and I just want you to give me all that you can give me. And like, that's what we are. That's how we are. That's how I am. Naturally, we want to keep what we make. I deserve this. I earn this myself. And we are a selfish people. But that is the opposite of what Scripture teaches us. It is the opposite. You know, I wrote this down. It's not about how much you make. It's about what you do with what you make. See, God's not interested, oh, wow, you make a lot of money. That's awesome. And then you give 1% of that. Oh, it's a decent. God's not worried about that. He's worried about what you do with what you make. You see, in Scripture, when he talks about the widow's mites, he wasn't worried about all the people. Oh, they were wealthy and they were given a lot more money than the two mites. But he wasn't. That's nothing. That's only a small portion of what they make. This person gave all. And she was willing to give, and he, that lady made an impression on Jesus. So one of the things that, you know, as children, you know, you really understand this when you become a parent, especially when your child is, is young, is everything you say, they ask why. Do this. Why? Laney, we're going to go to bed. But why? Laney, you can't have the 60,000 people candy today. But Why? It, it's, it's a constant why. So I understand that some of us in here may not really understand why we should give. So I'm going to share this with you real quickly. Four things on why we should give to be able to help explain to our children, hey, this is why we give. We already explained how, why we should gain. Now, we, now we, we need to teach them how to give. So number one, why should we give? Giving is an obligation. Now some of you are thinking, wait a minute, Mo. The tithing thing, that's an Old Testament law. We're no longer under the law. I understand that. And some of us in here who believe that have not read the New Testament, obviously, because the New Testament commands us to give more than 10%. (laughs) See, giving is an obligation. When you don't give, you are disobeying God. Let's look at this New Testament verses here, a couple of them, and I could go on and on, but we're just going to read two for sake of time. Romans 12, 13 says this. Contribute to the needs of the saints. You know what the saints is in scripture? The saints is the church. It's the body of Christ, okay? It says, contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Now, I'm not an English teacher. I'm not a grammar teacher, but I know enough to know that this sentence is an imperative sentence, which means that it is giving us a command. It is an understood you. You contribute to the needs of the saints. It doesn't say, hey, if you make a little bit more money, then you contribute. It doesn't say, hey, you know, if you get this new job, then you can contribute. Can I be honest with you guys? I think one of the greatest things that my dad does when he speaks is just he's just real and honest. And that's what I want to be with you this morning. Uh, You know, my family this year uh, financially has been tough for us. You know, with the new kid, when you have an extra kid, those of you who have, it's a big deal. Okay? It's more diapers, it's more food, it's more formula, it's more every, you know, and, and you just, you're, you're constantly spending new money and you're like, wait a minute, I didn't budget for that. I wasn't, and, and, and again, it's one of those things that's just been tough financially on our family. And when we were going to that missions revival, I honestly thought to myself, God would not mind. God would not mind if I gave the missions, but just a little less this year. Just one year, I'm going to give a little less because he won't mind. I mean, I, I have another extra kid. He understands, he's an understanding God. And after I went to that missions revival, and if you went, you know what I'm talking about. It, I mean, Brother Bax just tugged on my heart. And I said, you know what? I'm not going to give less. I'm going to give just a tad bit more. 
I'm going to try to see what I can do to stretch my faith. And I talked to Seuss, and we, we, conversate, we, we conversated and really thought about, hey, what can we do now? Again, it doesn't have to be like, you know, a million dollars more. We're not going to give ridiculous things and, and be, make unrealistic goals. But I thought to myself, how can I give more? I just want to be real with you guys this morning. It's tough sometimes. I understand. But number one, it's an obligation. But, but I want to kind of give you another verse here. In Hebrews 13, 16, it says... Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. What is one of the hardest things to do as a parent teaching young kids? Share. Laney, share your toy. She came to church this morning. She came with her little, uh, my little pony, okay? And it was a cool my little pony doll, okay? And I thought to myself, okay. This is a perfect opportunity. So I, I knelt down with her. And I said, Laney, I said, we are going to, if a kid gets your toy and they want to play with it, you share with them. Share. Allow them to play with it. Now, the chances of that happening, I understand, are very slim to none. But what I do understand is I am, I am trying to teach her. I'm trying to teach her, hey, share. You know what the Bible is doing here? He's saying, children, share. Give with what you have. You don't have to just have, you have to be a blessing to others. So number one, giving is an obligation. Number two, giving is a privilege. It's not just like we have to, it's we get to. I love this passage in 2 Corinthians 8. It talks about this church from Macedonia. Check this out with me, it's pretty awesome. In 2 Corinthians 8, 1 through 4, it says this. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. So Paul here is speaking to the Corinthians. And he's speaking in the church of Corinthians. Let's say we're the Corinthians. And I'm Paul. And I'm saying, guys, you're not going to believe this. There's a church down in Star City, Arkansas. Okay? And, and this church, and, and read, this, read, read this passage with me, is in a severe test of affliction. Their abundance of joy and, and, and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. I mean, these people are poor, but they're generous. And it says this, For they gave according to their means, as they can testify, and beyond their means, of their own accord. And this is where I want you to really focus in on. Look at this last little section here. Begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. This church is like, Paul, what can we do? Uh, we, we don't have much money, but maybe we can sell, maybe we can, how can we help with, with the furtherance of the gospel? I mean, we want to have a part of that. And Paul was mind blown. He says, Corinthians, hey, we've got to be like these church in Macedonia. We've got to be like these people that are begging earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. Acts 20, 35, I love this because this is actually Jesus speaking here. It's a, not, not, not here, but I'll show you what I mean in a second. It says, in all things I've shown you, by, the work, uh, by working hard in this way, we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus. Okay? How he himself, so this is Jesus speaking. This is not my opinion. This is not Paul's opinion. This is not anybody's opinion other than Jesus' actual truth. It says this. How he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. We need to be teaching our kids this. We need to be teaching our children, listen, listen. It is, it's, it's so much better to give than to receive. It's Christmas time, right? It's Christmas time, and what are kids super excited about? They're excited about getting gifts, right? Who isn't? I love getting gifts. I still love getting gifts. It's amazing. How awesome is it to get a gift? I mean, I, n- I never buy anything for myself because I just, it's so much better when I, when, I, when I get it as a gift, and I'm just like, oh my goodness, this is amazing. But you know what I love doing even more than receiving an Apple Watch that I got for my birthday last year? or something else that I got for, for, for as a gift. I love being able to do things for people. It's amazing. But you know what I didn't do? I didn't naturally come out. Uh, you know, I wasn't birthed and I came and I just said, you know what? It's a, so much more blessed to give than to receive. I'm going to start doing that as a four-year-old. You know, I was caught. My parents said, son, it's more blessed to give than to receive. It's not about what, th- this isn't me speaking. Son, this is what Jesus said. Which brings me to my third point. Number one, giving is an obligation. Number two, giving is a privilege. We should be teaching our kids that giving is an act of worship. I love this point. I love this point. You see, in the Old Testament, they actually had to bring an offering to get in the presence of God. Like, they could not come into the temple. Could you imagine if today, Gospel Light, we said, hold on, you can't come in. Where's the money? 
That'd be pretty extreme, right? Well, in the Old Testament, they had to bring an offering. Now, it wasn't money, but it was an animal normally. They'd have to sacrifice an animal. In the New Testament, I love how they took the, the offering in the New Testament. They actually took it during the worship time and after the Lord's Supper to encourage the saints to give as an act of worship. So they, so check this out. They have the Lord's Supper, and they literally, they, they remember what Jesus did for them, right? They remember what Jesus did for them, and then as they're worshiping, they, they bring their offering as an act of worship, and, and they say, God, this is, this is the least I could do. I mean, you've given your life for me. And so often I find in our culture, giving is not an act of worship. We pass the plate around, and it's like, you know, okay, if I got something, I'll throw something in there. You know, in the madhouse, we actually have a treasure chest up front, and we have a time of prayer. And in that time of prayer, I give these students an opportunity. We have music playing in the background. I give them an opportunity to give. Come up, and, and as an act of worship, understanding that when they give, it is, this is literally something that they can say, God, I hope this is pleasing to you. I love you. Thank you for giving me everything that you've given me. I, I, I should... I wish I could give more. I, help me to give, strengthen my faith to give more. This is, this is what giving should be. Hebrews 13, 15 through 16 says this. Through him, then let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is, the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have. For such sacrifices are pleasing to God. God says, when you give, you please me. Number four, and lastly, under the giving is, giving is an investment. Not only is it an obligation and a privilege and act of worship, but it's an investment. You see, investing earthly money in the advancement of the kingdom of God is one way in which we can lay up spiritual treasure in heaven. Now, I'm glad that uh, I don't, you know, this isn't the only way, because I probably wouldn't have much treasure in heaven, to be honest with you, because I'd, I'd struggle, you know, I don't have the money to give. But, but what I would say is this is a major way that we can invest in our spiritual treasure in heaven. This is what Matthew 9, 19 through 21 is talking about. It says, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Well, Mo, my kid is four years old. They need to be taught. Start at a young age. Well, Mo, my kids are older now. Start now. We need to be teaching our children that giving is a privilege. It's an obligation. It's an act of worship. It's an investment. Look at Luke 14, 12 through 14. This is pretty impressive. He says, he says also to the man who invited him, when you give a dinner or a banquet, this is Jesus speaking. He says, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or rich neighbors, lest they also invite you in return and you be paid. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you. For you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. I actually, uh, uh, the, the Shalos, we went out to the concert last night. That was an awesome experience. And, and the other night, uh, they texted me and said, hey, you know, uh, uh, we forgot to give Blue some money for the basketball chip. Can you spot him? And I gave him money, and, and they gave me money back. You know, they said, look, we'll repay you. Don't worry about it. That's not a big deal. And I said, oh, it's not a big, you know, kind of like a, kind of like, you know, just do this for me. Not, the, the Bible's saying that's not what we're talking about. I'm talking about giving where on earth, you're not receiving anything back. I'm talking about giving to the people that can't repay you. Here's what's interesting. Think about what Jesus did for us. Just for a second here. Jesus gave everything. He, he gave his life for us. And what are we going to repay him with? The Bible says our righteousness is his filthy rags. He gave us his life. Are we understanding this concept that Jesus is saying, listen, as we give, give to the needy, give to where people are going to uh, see Jesus' love in you. You know what's cool? You know what's also cool? The Bible actually tells us what we should give to. It doesn't just tell us why. It says, hey, listen, this is what you should give to. In the Old Testament, the Israelites gave for the construction of the temple and for the ongoing maintenance of worship and ministry. 
This is what the Old Testament, they, they, they gave, I'm not going to read the whole passage of Scripture in Exodus 25, uh, but it basically says, Moses is speaking to the people, and he says, bring your gold, bring your silver, bring your bronze, all your money, okay, and bring it, and then it says at the end, and let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell in their midst. So God's saying to Moses, look, tell the people, bring their money so I, you can build the temple and I can come in their midst. Now, I know what you're thinking, it's a little bit different now. It's a little bit different. But what you understand is there was somebody, you realize this, there was somebody who came before you. Maybe you're a new member and you, you don't know the history of this church. There was a group of people that gave a certain amount of money to come over here and to buy this property and give us this beautiful auditorium to worship in. There was the people who paid the price for this. You know, as a young kid, I'm going to give you a quick example. I saw some men who sacrificed to be able to purchase this building. Not because it was like, ooh, look at this. It was because this was where God wanted us and gave us room to grow and room to have more people to know Christ. And, and obviously, the church is a great, God ordained the local church to give us an opportunity to give the gospel out. But, but I watched as a, I believe, I want to say I was 11 or 12 at the time. And I, I went up, and some of you guys remember this if you've been here for a while, but we, we were over there in the old auditorium. We did not own this. This was Second Baptist's facilities. We were over there, and we, had a, a, we, we were a much smaller church. It was a nice church, but it was a much smaller church. And my dad, he brought the men upstairs. And he said, you know, guys, he said, you know, we have an opportunity to do this. And he, 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 he talked to the men of the church. And I was like 11 or 12. I went up there because I was always just... I don't know, I was was always in random places. So I was there, and I remember, I remember there were times where my dad had the men up there, and the men would say, you know, hey, I'll give this. Some of you remember this. Hey, I'll I'll give this. I'll give, this is a need, I'll I'll give this. And I thought to myself as a young kid, I said, man, that's so cool. Man, these guys are awesome. They're going to give so that we can have a place to worship. They're going to give so that the furtherance of the gospel could happen. They're going to, that's so cool. And you know what I did as a 12-year-old? We had, a, we had, a, we had a, a church meeting, and he said, look, we got to purchase this building, but we got to raise $500,000 to do it. And I said to myself, man, I didn't have any money for me as an 11, 12-year-old. I didn't really understand it all at the time, and, and I had a little bit of a knowledge of it, but I was like, that's a lot of money. I said, you know what? I'm going to give $500 to the building campaign. $500, right? So I, gave, I wrote it down, and my dad said, son... You need to go get that card, and you need to bring it back. We need to write a more realistic goal. And I said, no, Dad, I promise you. I was like 11 or 12. I said, I- I'm going to make this happen. We had six months to give this money. So I had six months to raise this $500, and uh, five months goes by, I had $0. <laughs> Dad's like, son, you have some issues here, you know, and, I'm going to have to go sell, sell you into slavery because we're going to, he, he didn't know what he's going to have to do. So I, I, I said, dad, don't worry about it. I, I'm going to have, make it happen. Well, somebody randomly uh, put me in this free throw competition and, and it, it, it was at the end of the Summit Arena. Now it's the Bank of the Ozarks Arena. And, and uh, I was in this free throw competition. I won this free throw competition. And uh, the winner of the free throw competition got 50 free Harlem Globetrotter tickets. And the Harlem Globetrotters came to our school. They performed. It was really fun. And, and, and I remember getting these 50 fr- uh, free Harlem Globetrotter tickets. <clears throat> $10 a piece. I sold all 50 tickets, made the $500, and gave the $500 to the church. As a 12-year-old child, okay? Now listen, that's not to puff me up. That's to puff up the men who are examples, that's the puff up. My, my father th- th- that said, son, this, he, even though he was a little bit struggling with his faith at the time, he taught me, hey, give by faith. He taught me, hey, listen, you may not have the money, you, but hey, listen, God's going to take care of it. And you know what's so cool? I got to grow up and understanding as a young child, God provides. And nowadays when my faith gets weak, I have to say to myself, you know what, Mo? Slap yourself in the face about three or four times. I've taken care of you before. Remember the Harlem Globetrotter tickets? You remember this? You remember that? And over and over and over, he's provided. And what I want to get you to understand is I'm still reaping the benefits of some men and a father and a mother who taught me the reason to give. We should also give to the poor and needy. Acts 2, 44 through 45 says this. 
And all who believed were together and had all things in common. Check this out. This is just crazy. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. Two, two chapters later, it says this in Acts 4. There was not a needy person among them. There's not a needy person among them. So, so literally in the city, the, the people of the church, which, is, which I believe is where a lot of this should be happening, the people of the church said, you know what? We're going to take care of the needy. And it says that there was not a needy person among them. Have you seen some needy people in Hot Springs? I've seen plenty of needy people in Hot Springs. You see, there's a lot of people around the world that, that need stuff. And, you know, that's great. And we're working at, at solving that problem too. But there's people in Hot Springs. We have the opportunity this, this November to help with the Thanksgiving Day Feast. I mean, we've been doing this for, for a long time now. And you know what I did as a child? My dad would take me as a little kid. He would take me on a bus. And we would pick up homeless people. And we'd go bring them to the church to eat. And you know what I did as a young child? I started to see, man, this is awesome. This is amazing. This is what, man, this is what real Christianity, this is, this is sharing God's love with people who need something. You see, Jesus, he took care of their physical need before he took care of their spiritual need. You understand that? Well, all these people needed Jesus. That's true. But Jesus, even though he was there, he said, they need me. But first, I'm going to feed them. I'm going to feed the 5,000 before I give them the gospel. I'm going to, and he took care. He healed the blind. He took care of their physical need. We have to understand that we have the opportunity as a church to, to serve the community. We served, I believe, 17 or 1,800 meals last year to the community. What better way to show Christ's love? What better way to say, hey, listen, we, we love Jesus and we love you. You know what we do now? We still do the Thanksgiving Day Feast. You know what I still do now? I still pick up people to come to the Thanksgiving Day Feast. I still bring some teenagers with me to go deliver food. We delivered, our teens deliver, delivered over 350 meals last year to the police department, to, to different places in town, some nursing homes, because somebody taught me that it's important to give to the poor and needy. I'm telling you, your kids need you. All right, let's move on to the last part. They, they supported those who ministered to others. Third John 6 through 8 says this, you will do well to send them on their journey in a manner worthy of God. For they have gone out for the sake of the name, accepting nothing from the Gentiles. This is literally missions, the, the epitome of missions. Uh, Scott and Christy Mercer, they are going to Thailand. And when they first go to Thailand, uh, they're, they're, they're going to, to help start churches and do different things in Bangkok. You realize that, like, the Thailand people are like, hey, we're going to give you a whole bunch of money to come over here. That's not the case. This is what's happening here. Paul's saying, look, these people don't have money from the Gentiles. Therefore, we ought to support people like these that we may be fellow workers for the truth. We need to be giving to missions, giving to those who are ministering to others that aren't getting money so they can take care of their families and still be able to spread the gospel in other areas. Well, Mo, I just don't think it's, it's, it's time to share these things with my kids. I'm just telling you right now, start young. Start now. And if they're older, if you've got teenagers, start teaching them these things now. Teach them why we should give. Teach them what we should give to. And lastly, I want to say this. Lastly. I want to teach them, number one, how to gain. Number, one, number two, how to give. And number three, how to grow. Luke 2.52 says this. And Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. You know what I find interesting about this verse? And I had to do a lot of research and study because I was a little curious on how Jesus could increase in wisdom. And, and, and again, that's a whole other theological study and we could talk about that later. But, but what I, right now I want you to get this concept. Is that Jesus submitted himself to growth. He submitted himself to obedience. Children, teenagers, Jesus, the creator of the universe, submitted himself to obedience to his parents. Submission is not a sign of weakness. Submission is a sign of strength. Submission is a sign of saying, look, I'm going to be obedient to you. Jesus himself, we see in scripture that he was obedient to his parents. I think that's such an amazing thing that Jesus would show us it says that he was obedient even unto death. He died for us. 
I want you to notice four quick things in this, and, and, and it's kind of like in the verse. It says Jesus increased in wisdom. What is that talking about? It's talking about the mental aspect of our children. See, Jesus, he grew in wisdom. He grew in his mental. Listen, help your children grow mentally. Whatever you can do, whatever that means. If, if, if you have a child in school, let me encourage you. Hey, help your child. Know when they have a test. Listen, hey, do you have a test tomorrow? Do you have a quiz tomorrow? Let me help you study that. I want my kid to increase in wisdom like Jesus did, right? Number two, it says he increased in stature. This is the, in stature, this means like the physical area. Help your kids to be, to be, uh, exercise and get healthy habits. Help your kids to understand that, yes, th this isn't the most important thing, but it is an important thing because it says that Jesus grew in stature. He, he worked as a kid. It says that he helped his father in the stable. He was a carpenter, and he worked with his hands. Number three, it says that he grew in favor with God. He was, this is talking about his spiritual life. Jesus grew spiritually. When's the last time you asked your child, how are you doing spiritually? When's the last time you asked your child, hey, what'd you get, what'd you get from your devotions? I mean, honestly, I, can I be honest with you? One of my favorite things to do at night is to read the Bible with Laney. She loves it. Listen, Laney, she, we, we go, I, I tuck her in bed. We, we do do the Mickey Mouse book, okay? That's first because we want to close with the Bible. We do the Mickey Mouse book. I read her the Mickey Mouse book. We find the hidden objects. It's actually pretty amazing. We're really good at it now. But we also do the Bible afterwards. And my favorite thing, one of my favorite things is when she's like, uh, Daddy, I want Jesus in the lion's den. And, you, and she doesn't, she, she, she's, you know, she's three, so she's starting to get it. She says Jesus in the lion's den, which I guess he was there. He's everywhere. But I mean, I'm like, Daniel, but hey, we love you, Lanny. You know, uh, I, want, I, want, I want Jesus in the whale. Uh, well, okay, he was there too, but it's Jonah. But hey, whatever, you know, I'm just glad you want to hear about it. And she loves hearing these Bible stories. And I hope that never stops. I pray to God that I don't stop whenever she gets older and says, oh, you know, you, you can read the Bible by yourself now. Why not read the Bible with your kids? Care about their spiritual life. It's amazing what that would do. And lastly, it says that he increases favor with man. This is their social aspect. Oh, well, I let him do social media, so that's fine. That takes care of that. No, no, no. One-on-one -on -one conversation. Teach them how to network. Teach them how to communicate with others. Increase with favor with man. So here's my closing questions, and I'm done. Number one closing question. Are you teaching your children to work with excellence? Are you teaching your ch children to work with excellence? Son, daughter, hey, this is why we work, and this is why we do our best. Encourage your kids. One of the best things my dad ever did was show up to all my games, and he just encouraged me and said, hey, do your best. You don't have to score a million points. You just got to do your best. He show up to school. Hey, son, you know, you don't have to get 100% in every single thing, but do your best. Work with excellence. This is something that I found was such a blessing to me as a child. Number two, are you teaching your children to give generously with a thankful heart? Not just to give, but to give generously like Jesus did. At the end of the day, if you don't want your kids to be like me, fine. Let them be like Jesus. Encourage them to give generously with a thankful heart. And lastly, are you teaching your children to grow in every area of their life? I've seen parents over the years, and this is just my observation, maybe focus too much on one area. Maybe it's just sports. And, oh, you do this in sports, and do this, and do this, and, and you're going to be great one day, and we live our lives through their, their vicariously through their sports-related activities. Or maybe it's just school, and it's just, you know, do this and get good grades, and you're going to go to college one day and get a scholarship. Hey, listen, help them to grow in every area of their life. Help them to be a balanced person. I'm going to close with this. Uh, I'm going to close with, with a couple statements here. This one being really important. Number one, the most important word is in this message is teach. 
teach. Don't just tell them, teach them. This statement right here should change our whole perspective on it. Don't tell your children to do things because you said so. Teach them to do things because he said so. To me, that's, it, it, it was one of those things growing up. I, I, I think that one of my parents' flaws, and they would admit this, and, they've, and, and it wasn't like they were like a terrible parent. It was just different because we grew up kind of legalistic. And we grew up uh, not, I, I grew up not knowing why we did a lot of things. I grew up uh, having to wear pants playing basketball. I, couldn't, I mean, it was in the middle of the summer, 150 degrees outside, and I'm about to have a heat stroke, and I'm wearing pants. And I, and, and I said, Dad, why, why do I have to wear pants playing basketball outside in, in, in this weather? He said, son, you know, I, I don't know. <laughs> Would you help me on this a little bit, Dad? And you know what he did? We changed. And he allowed me to wear shorts. What a blessing. I wore shorts in the ninth grade. It was an awesome experience. You know what else was unbelievable? Uh, you know, you wouldn't know this nowadays in our church, but like at one point, like my casting crowns, I couldn't listen to them. Casting Crowns is a Christian group, if you don't know about them, and, and they, their songs are unbelievably powerful. It's just unbelievable what God's allowed uh, them to do with music. And, and I said, Dad, why can't I listen to Casting Crowns? And, and he, uh, son, I can't biblically tell you why exactly. I said, okay. And you know what he did? He changed. There are certain things that, that he had to change as a parent because he couldn't explain to me why, but he also all the time taught me Whenever there was something, whether that was giving, whether it was gaining or whether it was growing in a spiritual walk with God or things like that, he always explained to me why. And he made mistakes. And you understand that if we as parents, including myself, will will, will say, look, I'm going to make a decision today. I'm going to start teaching my kids. You want to hear something pretty crazy? The best way to teach them is to give them an example. I, uh, I was with, uh, we were at the house, and Lainey was running around. She was crazy. And uh, I was just like, whoa, man, this girl's insane. I said, Seuss, what's wrong with this girl? And Seuss just stared at me and went. And I was like, what? He said, she's literally identical to you. And I was like, wow, that's scary. You know, like. You know what the truth is? Our, our kids are literally spitting images of us. And if they're not, can I tell you a little secret? Spend more time with your kids. They should see you being Jesus. They should see me being Jesus. My wife and I were arguing the other day, and Lainey was like, don't be mad. And I thought to myself, She's looking at us. She's watching us. God's given us the greatest gift other than salvation is to, to, to literally be able to, to raise children and, and, and literally teach them his word. It's unbelievable the blessing that they are. Somebody's influencing your children. Somebody is. Social media is influencing your children. YouTube influencing your children. Athletes influencing your children. Actors, actresses influencing your children. Music influencing your children. Let it be said by gospelite parents that the biggest influence in these kids' lives was their parents. You know, as a youth pastor, I don't mind being a mentor. I don't mind, you know, it's, a, it's an unbelievable honor. Honestly, it's, it's, it literally blows my mind to have the honor to help you guys with your children. It's a, it, I, I count it as one of the highest blessings I have. And I love your kids, but to be honest with you, I can't be the one raising your kids. I'm coming alongside you, and I'm saying, listen, I want to do everything I can to help you. What can I do? How can I serve you? I love being able to meet with parents and just talk with you guys. Like, it's, it's, it's my favorite thing to do. We've got to take our kids. We've got to realize that they're the future. My daughter's three years old. The students, the high school students who are in our church are going to be the leadership of my daughter one day in this church. And I understand that we have to realize that the future is not, it doesn't lie with us, 
it lies with these kids, and we have the opportunity to influence that. I'm thankful for a dad. I'm thankful for a mom who counted it a priority to teach me how to game, to teach me how to work. I'm not perfect. I'm the farthest thing from perfect, and you can amen that if you want. That's fine. I understand that. But I, but, but I do know what it means to work and work with excellence, do my best. If I'm teaching, I'm going to have a PowerPoint. I'm going to be prepared. If I'm a coach, I'm going to be prepared. I'm going to give it all I got. If I'm going to be the youth pastor, I'm going to have the best youth activities I can do. I'm gonna, they taught me how to do that. They taught me how to give. They taught me how to give. They taught me how to give to the poor needy. They taught me how to give generously and with a thankful heart. They taught me how to grow. And you know what? I'm so thankful. This is a message from a grown-up kid. That's all I am. And I'm so passionate about these kids in this church. And I, and I, see, I see so many kids longing to, to have that parental relationship. I'll close with this stat. There was a MTV, uh, it was an MTV uh, survey, and it's, obviously it's secular. And MTV did a survey with a million kids and, I, and I, I'm going to butcher, butcher the, the whole story, but um, the MTV had a, a survey of a million kids, and they asked what these students wanted most. It was, it was kids um, any age, but a million of them, okay? And the thing that they wanted most was time spent with their parents. 76%, I think, said that was the thing they wanted most. They may not act like it, but they need you. They need you. Parents, it's time to step up. For those of you who aren't a parent, if I could have the worship team come on up. For those of you who aren't a parent, let me challenge you. Let's look at these questions a little bit differently. Let's look at these questions. Instead of saying, are we teaching our children? Let me ask you this. Are you working with excellence? Oh, well, I'm a young adult. I'm not going to have a kid for a while. Are, are you working with excellence? Let's ask yourself this question. Are you teaching yourself to give generously with a thankful heart? And are you growing in every area of your life possible? For those of you who are older, let me challenge you. Teach a grandkid. Be an example. You know how many kids are in Garland County alone that don't have parents? Over 100. We learned that from Brother Lance through Compact Foster Care. 100 kids without parents. They don't have parents. They're not, they're not in their life. And we have an opportunity to be a blessing to those fatherless kids.